Peter chapter 1. We'll be moving from verse 13 down to the end of the chapter this morning as we are in the early stages of a series where we're going to recognize the hand of God entitled Stand. Now, when you mark your place in 1 Peter this morning, I, I want to begin with just something you're very familiar with, but I believe it helps us understand verses 13 through 25, maybe in a little different kind of context. How many are in this service and you're too young to remember 2001, 9-11? Raise your hand. Okay, raise, keep them up, kids. Okay, a few. All right. You know, for many, 9-11, folks, is just simply going to be a lesson in a history book. It'll be, it'll be this is what happened. Like, like many of us remember things that we never lived. So we have to keep that in context, I think, when we talk about the, what happened on 9... How many of you remember exactly where you were on 9-11-2001? I was standing at a bread thrift store in Mason, Ohio with Tom Tyler. Folks, this is where we got the name for our bread Sunday offering. We literally used to buy bread. And we would take those dollars, we would take the cash that was given the Sunday before, we would go to Mason, they had worked out some kind of deal with New Life Mission, and we would buy the bread at a very cheap price and then go to New Life Mission deliver it. Well, Tom and I were loading the bread, and, and we noticed that the clerk was standing, turned around, looking up at the television, and we walked in and said, what's going on? And she said... There's been a terrorist attack in New York City. And my husband is on a plane this morning. And we prayed, and, and that, that's where we were. And no doubt you can go right to the place you were on that day. You know, one of the stories that continually fascinates me is the Flight 93 story. Uh, that morning, uh, it was a beautiful morning. Commercial airliners flying all across the country. But in less than two hours, this routine was transformed by 19 terrorists who somehow boarded and hijacked four commercial airplanes with one goal, attack America. Nearly 3,000 were killed when the hijacked planes flew into the World Trade Center and over 6,000 injured. The World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and when United States Airlines or when United Airlines Flight 93 crashed into the field in Pennsylvania, our lives would never be the same. Some of you may have heard former President Bush's speech from Shanksville, Pennsylvania this weekend. If you didn't, I encourage you to look that up and listen to it. It's interesting that Flight 93 never hit its target. It never got to its target, the nation's capital. Many believe it was either the White House or the Capitol. And it didn't get there because of the courage of 40 passengers and crew members who were on board. When it was hijacked, the passengers and the crew members used air phones to contact authorities and their loved ones. And a total of 13 passengers made 37 phone calls. Through their conversations, they learned of the first two attacks and they began to take action when told that it looked like their plane was part of that plan. 
pushed to the back of the airplane by the hijackers. The passengers and the crew took a vote, and they decided to fight back and try to regain control of that airplane. And as a result of the phone calls made from Flight 93 and from the cockpit voice recorder recovered at the site, they learned of the struggle that took place on the airplane that ended in a crash in western Pennsylvania just 18 minutes from Washington, D.C. by air. Countless lives were spared thanks to their heroic actions. Many of you are familiar with Todd Beamer, who was recorded of saying, let's roll. Brother Greg, why are you telling that story today? Well, first of all, out of Thanksgiving. And secondly, because they just didn't sit in fear. They acted. Knowing that they would lose their lives, they saved thousands. Now, this story serves to me a good reminder when you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 down. Because God, listen to me folks, does not call us to sit and do nothing. God calls us to live a holy life. All of these songs Marcia's chosen this morning deal with holiness and, and living a life that's different because of the grace and the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary. So Lord, as we open your word once again, help us to get a, a, new, a new word. Not that your truth would be new, Lord, but that we would receive something maybe we've overlooked in our Christian life. And that is that you call us, that you have expectations of what the Christian life should look like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll begin with verse 13. If you're with me, say amen. Okay, here we go. Peter writes these words. Therefore, gird up the loins of your, what? Mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 12. We understood that we're saved and we're saved and we're called because of a living hope that Jesus gives. 
The Bible talks about a living hope. O Lord, the hope of Israel. It's interesting that Scripture also reminds us that a living hope is to be vibrant, is to be going, it's to be active. You know, the Bible says, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. There is hope for the living. And I believe sometimes the world in which we live has this idea that the church is dead or that perhaps God is dead. How many of you saw the movie, God is not dead? Raise your hand. At the very end of that movie, if you recall, there was a concert. Uh, What's the name of the group? Not the news, is it Newsboys? The one that Michael Tate's in. Thank you for nobody knowing the answer to that. Who is it? Is that it? Newsboys, thank you. Well, if you recall, at the end of that movie, if, if, I, if I'm thinking correctly, something popped on the screen and said, take out your phone, and those of you that are watching this movie, have watched this movie and believe that God is alive, text it to somebody right now, or, or your whole contact list, text that God is alive, that God is not dead. And I can remember sitting in a Sarasota Cinemax, and I got my phone out, and I started finding contacts and shooting that message, God is not dead. He's alive. But yet sometimes we as believers live our lives as if God is not alive. That if for some reason he doesn't have his eye on this thing called the world right now. If for some reason uh, everything is going crazy, we feel like, God, where are you? You must not be aware of what's, what's going on. Well, Peter continually tells us, even from the cross of Calvary, that everything was foreordained. That everything that takes place comes through the filter of the mighty love and the mighty hand of God. And even salvation was not an afterthought. Amen? God didn't get together after the sin of man and say, what am I going to do? John the Baptist called it outright when Jesus came walking toward him behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world it was God's plan for us to have a relationship with him and the good news is is when you think about Peter's writing he reminds us of the goodness of God and the benefits uh, that God gives us for instance a heavenly inheritance remember that last week an imperishable inheritance called to a living hope a reserved incorruptible inheritance and if it's reserved that means it's there my place is there it's waiting on me and then we get to verse 13 and Peter writes therefore based on what we have talked about what we have written based on the previous verses therefore gird up the loins of your mind mind now we're, we're, we're familiar in scripture with the concept of girding up your loins of, of taking a robe and pulling it up and pulling it up between your legs and taking the outside and tucking it in a belt so that now you're mobile now you can fight now you're you're not, uh, there's, there's no hindrance of what you want to do. But Peter is saying, gird up the loins of your 
Expectations is the title of the message. And brothers and sisters, when you look at the Christian life, what we're going to see today is that God expects his children to live holy lives. Holy lives. Now, I know that word scares us sometimes, holiness, or they went to a holiness church. I can remember growing up in a Baptist church, and from time to time, I've always loved uh, Southern gospel music. You know that. As a matter of fact, that was Doug Morgan that you saw. That was his son uh, underneath that, uh, his son and daughter-in-law who worked at Seneca Lake there in that testimony. That was Doug Morgan who I sang in the quartet with. But one reason I believe I've always loved Southern gospel music is that's what I heard in our house growing up. And time to time, on Sunday afternoon, there would be a singing. Anybody will say, you know what I'm talking about? There would be a singing somewhere, and we would go to that singing, Jordan, and a lot of times those singings were not at Baptist churches. They were at Pentecostal churches or Church of God churches. And folks, I'm talking about the kind of church where if somebody got happy, they would get up and start running around. Scared me to death as a boy. And we'd go home and Dad would say, what'd you think about the singing? I'd say, boy, that singing was good, Dad, but that running scared me to death. So we, we sometimes associate holiness with, with the way a person looks or the way they dress. And I believe when you look at Peter's definition of what real holiness is, he begins in verse 13 with a clear definition. Gird up the loins of your mind. Real holiness begins in your heart. It begins on the out inside. And it works its way outwardly. So he says if you're going to stand, if you're going to stand in the day of trouble, if you're going to stand against persecution, it all begins on the inside. Now, standing doesn't mean uh, you're idle and do nothing. It means we're called to take a stance and fight for what is right. And brothers and sisters, there are missionaries all over this world today that are preaching the same gospel I'm preaching this morning, and there's a big difference. Many of them are doing it in places where they can't even call themselves by name in fear for persecution. They're standing for truth. They're preaching truth. But Peter said a battle is underway. It's a common thing. Girding up your loins gives you mobility. It can aid your defense. But the truth is it's not just about war. It's any active service. If we're going to live a holy life for the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to position ourselves and it begins in our hearts Ephesians chapter 6 you're very familiar with it verse 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places so if you have your outline this morning I want to give you a few things I hope will help you how do we express holy living you do it, first of all, through obedience. Obedience. Now, in just a few minutes, I'll give an invitation. And I'm going to ask you that are here, those that are watching, 
I'm going to ask you to join me in saying, God, I renew myself to you, and I'm asking you to help me live a life of obedience. Now, write this down somewhere. What is holiness? If God says, be ye holy, for I am holy, what is holiness? For the believer, it's godly, blameless living. Godly, blameless living. One writer said, holiness is faith gone to work. Love coined in to conduct. It's active. Nathaniel Emmons said, real holiness has love for its essence, humility for its clothing, the good of others as its employment, and the honor of God as its end. Holiness. God calls us to be holy, and that's expressed through obedience. Spurgeon said, holiness is the architectural plan upon which God builds his temple. That's the kind of heart God can use. Now, let's keep reading. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, verse 13, be, be sober, be sober. Um, so it begins in our mind, and then it kind of moves to our eyes. Why do, why do we say that? Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To be sober means to watch. Now, it also means to abstain, it, abstain from wine in context. But when you're sober, it means that you're watching. You're looking out for anything that would hinder your walk with God. And then the Bible says, rest in His grace. Rest in His grace. You know, for some of us this morning in this room, and those watching, I believe we have some restless Christians in this room. Um... Don't raise your hand with me. Does anyone in here have a hard time sleeping right now? Maybe, 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 maybe you're just having a hard time. I am. I don't know why, but I, I, I'm going to bed early, and it seems like I'm waking up early. And, and I'm talking about you folks that get up at 5 o'clock and your day gets going. I'm talking like 2 o'clock, you think it's 5 o'clock. That kind. And I turn, and I'm trying all these pillow locations, and and uh, just doing stuff and turning and of course when you're married when you turn you want to make sure that your spouse knows you're turning right when I turn I, I'll give Renee a nudge you know make sure she knows that I'm moving so so I can just get us both up and uh, but I've noticed that I, I feel restless even when I'm resting I believe we have a I believe we have a day where a lot of Christians are restless because we're not really resting in his grace we're living beneath our privilege is what we're doing now you'll say well brother Greg we're tired folks everybody's tired from time to time well brother Greg we're, we're sick everybody's sick from time to time now I realize we're living in a new day but, oh, Brother Greg, we're busy. Everybody's busy. I'm amazed at how some folks are so busy that they know everybody's business on Facebook 
but have no time to read a Bible or come to a church service. We're restless Christians. And we're restless because we feel like we should be served. Um, you men, look at me. I'm looking at you right now. You men have a chair probably at home. Like, that's my chair. That's Dad's chair. Okay, shake, shake your head if you're somehow with me there. Okay? And when I sit in my chair, I've got the best waitress in the world. Been married to her 38 years. And here's what she does not respond to. If I acted like that, Renee would say, help yourself, big boy. Go right ahead. But when I try to serve her too, realizing that, that a, uh, marriage isn't just about getting. Folks, I want to tell you, when you're saved, we're saved by God. Amen? We're saved by His grace. But He calls us to live for Him. And that's what this holiness thing, uh, that I believe Peter is reminding us about. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. James did not say, I'm saved by working. He said, I'll show you my faith by what I'm doing. Okay? If you, want, if you want to show me your Christianity by not serving God, go right ahead. Give it a good try. I'll show you that Jesus has changed my life by what I'm doing. He wasn't claiming works to save him. He was saying it was, it was fruit of the life that God had given. You see, God's called us to live a holy life. A godly, blameless life. So here it is. Anything in your life right now, anything in your world right now that you recognize is displeasing to God, those are the things that Peter's saying has got to go. Got to go. You'll say, well, Brother Greg, that was on the TV. Nobody changed your leg to the chair and made you watch that. You have something in your hand called a remote. You have... It, the decisions we make in life, folks, oftentimes are just contrary to godly, blameless living when it comes to the Christian life. And Peter said, unless your mind is prepared, you're in trouble from the start. Be sober. Be looking. Rest in the grace of God. Don't live beneath your privilege. And one reason that we're restless is because we're tired of chasing everything else. Every thing else now in verse 14 it almost sounds to me like Peter is making an assumption about believers you ready as obedient children so as he writes he is assuming that that obedience is taking place that everybody is there as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance listen when you didn't know better but when you get saved, you should know better. Amen? When you get saved, you should know better. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. Uh, conviction of sin. Recognizing that God has called us to be obedient. Obedient. I believe that Peter is writing that as, that as a Christian, a born-again believer, man and woman, boy or girl, that it should be a picture of obedience. 
He says, as obedient children. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Circle the word, all. All, not just when people are watching, not just when you're at church. All of your conduct. We got a good laugh. You know, Renee used to coach soccer, and we got a good laugh yesterday. Does anyone know what a, um, a yellow card is? Okay, yellow card. You soccer people know what that is. A yellow card is a penalty. And they not only yellow card you, they walk over and they like stick it in your face and say, yellow card. Well, yesterday, we got a picture from one of our, our friends, um, and his name was Shane. And his wife was so fascinated by his yellow card as a coach, she took the picture. And there stood the referee with the yellow card right in front of his face. Folks, I want to tell you, God does not go around holding up yellow cards in our face when we mess up. He does it from the inside out because we recognize if we're going to live holy lives, God deals with the heart first. And he expects it to work its way out. He says, don't go back to your former lust. Don't go back to chasing the things that you thought would make you happy before you became a Christian. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I want to remind you of this, church. Don't freak out when the lost world acts lost. Don't fall apart. Don't preach somebody a big sermon. You love people in Jesus' name and let the Holy Spirit do the work. You say, well, Brother Greg, you don't understand. I, I bet I do understand. I bet I do understand. Because it'll happen to all of us. It'll happen to all of us. Make sure you understand that there are some folks who don't know Christ yet that don't even know what sin is and don't understand when they do something wrong. Before Christ, we may have been doing things we didn't even know was wrong. Paul said when he became a Christian, it's a lifelong fight. It seems like the things I want to do, I'm not doing. And what I don't want to do, that's what I am doing. There were expectations, and Peter continues to deal with them. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So what are the expectations? Being holy, first of all, in all of your conduct. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Look at verse 16. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in fear I, th I think this is interesting way to word this verse or the, the very last statement in verse 17 conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here Let me tell you what that is. Life. It's your life. 
instead of us cringing and cowering in the world in which we're living, brothers and sisters, God must think you're something to let you be the church, the light of the world, a Christian in 2021. Can he count on us? Can he count on us? Or are we just going to live like the world and, and the world will see no difference? Are we willing to love people because Jesus loved us? Are we willing to forgive people because Jesus forgave us? Are we willing to be tender-hearted and cut somebody a break because my sins were paid for at Calvary's cross? You see, when you get into 17, you recognize that, that God shows no partiality. Uh, I, I must admit, I show partiality when it comes to things. I show partiality when it comes to our family. I show partiality when it comes to my grandkids. Oh, I'll go to your soccer game, but I'm not cheering for your kid. Yesterday we got there, and I was ready to see our team play and my grandson play, and found out it was 40 minutes behind. 40 minutes behind. So I sat there like some disgruntled grandparent, old cranky grandparent, thinking, how does this happen? And then I, I, I didn't come to watch these kids. Not, hey, kids, I don't say that when I come to your games. But, but I thought, I, I don't know I'm showing partiality. The great team, that's who I came to see. I showed partiality yesterday when we got home from those games. I DVR'd a game that I couldn't wait to watch. Oh, that Buckeye band coming out of the tunnel, marching script Ohio. Oh, I couldn't wait to get home. And then about the third quarter, I thought, I'm going to have to face Gene Foley at church tomorrow. <laughs> Partiality. Let me tell you something. God is not a fan of you. Fans are fair weather. Fans can change allegiance. God is holy and could drive us to our knees anytime he wanted to but his, his expectation is when we come to him just live a life that's grateful for it just be thankful and then you get down to the end of 17 he says conduct your stay here in fear and, and I, don't, I don't believe it's God wanting us to walk and just constantly no joy in our Christian life Folks, rest, rest in your relationship in Christ. That's what the Bible's already said. But recognize his expectation is for you and me to live a holy life. 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Holy living helps us live with a healthy fear for God and it leads to something a grateful heart and a grateful heart is a heart that recognizes the price that has been paid for our redemption that's what he's talking about he says your aimless conduct you know if you aim for nothing you'll hit it every time years ago you know, I've, I've always had aspirations of being like, a, it, most pastors can do something. They're either carpenters or mechanics. I mean, they have a skill. And, and I thought, you know what, I'd really, you know, I've, 
I'd like to be a, a handyman. And Ken Tillery put that air gun in my hand. He pointed to the stud and said, Greg, just hit that right there. I pulled the trigger, and the next thing we heard was a nail hitting about 30 feet away. I missed it. I missed it. You aim for nothing, you'll hit it every single time. When you wake up in the morning, listen, God says, be ye holy as I'm holy. So you wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, uh, I don't know what today has in store. You do. I'm not going to worry about things I can't control. I'm going to trust you. As a matter of fact, your word says, uh, remember back, conduct yourself while you're here and you stay here. The word says it's appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. I'm not going to worry about when that is because you're in charge of it. You're in control of that. So, so I'll, I'll not live one less minute. I'll not live one longer minute. You're in charge of that. But God, when I wake up in the morning, it doesn't have to be an aimless life. Be ye holy for I am holy. Help me glorify you today. Whether I go to work, school, retired, grocery store, gas station. Help me glorify you. Let me tell you something about Peter. You ready? Number three, Peter never got over the precious blood of Jesus. You see that in his writing. When you look back at verses, uh, uh, look at verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest or was made known in these last times for you, who raised him to believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter never got over the precious blood of Jesus. What are you saying, Brother Greg? Well, when he was called as a disciple, I believe Peter, how could God ever use me? When Jesus started talking about the cross and Peter sees him from a distance die at Calvary, how could he love me enough to die for me? How could he die for me when I denied him three times? How could he love me enough to let me see him alive? How could he love me enough to come back to me on the shore and say, Peter, do you love me three times? How could he love me enough to allow me to preach the message at Pentecost, knowing that the Holy Spirit would move in power? And then, how could he give me a second? I'm not going to use the word chance. I'm going to use the word an opportunity. Because sometimes I think when we talk about spiritual things and we say God gives us a second chance, uh, I think we get the feeling that we're buying a 50-50 ticket at a ball game. There's some risk involved. No, God gives us a new start. It's a done deal. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Peter never got over the precious blood of Jesus. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning, if you're serious about the Christian walk, the expectation is for us to live and never get over that. 
that we would desire to please the Lord. And I close with this. Verse 20, 22 down. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, there's something that God does when he changes your life. In sincere love of the brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. You know, the Bible says when you walk in integrity, you don't have to look over your shoulder. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, uh, he's talking about the same thing Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. Through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh, or all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So Peter says, live a holy life with a sincere heart. D.L. Moody said a great, it's a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. That's what a holy life looks like. I want you to stand in a spirit of prayer. And I simply want to ask you this question. Do you feel like you're meeting the expectations God has for you? So if every head bowed, every eye closed, if, you would, if you'd like to join me this morning, this is my prayer. Dear God of heaven, I have fallen so short so many times in life of living a holy life. It's not anything you've done, Lord. It's all me. And I ask you to forgive me this morning to renew my spirit and create in me a clean heart, oh God. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ. You say, Brother Greg, I don't even know if I am a Christian. Well, I'm going to invite you to come. And I'm going to be here on the floor. And if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, I'll be happy to pray with you as you come. And you can settle the most important decision you'll ever make. Maybe God's called you to become part of this church. Maybe God's called you to take another step. Maybe you've never been baptized. Baptized by immersion. Why don't you come and say, I need to do that. So Lord, have your way. Help us to be obedient. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's lift our voices with Gracie. Let's sing this as an anthem of our commitment, of our love for the Lord Jesus. Will you sing it with me? Sing it out. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust.
you mean what you're singing right there? Amen. May God help us to live that. Amen, church? May God help us to live that. Um, we have a very special guest in this service that's been coming to the 830. And uh, that is Jerry Banks back there on the back row. Some of you may not be aware in this service that Jerry and Kathy's grandson, J.J. Vogel, was in the World Series Little League championship game and one of the stars of the Hamilton West team. So everybody turn around and look at Jerry. <laughs> and here's what he's asked me to tell you. That if it's not too much of a bother, he'll be signing autographs out at the Welcome Center. But isn't that a pretty neat, awesome thing to be connected to? Let's thank God for that. And uh, we praise the Lord. Am I missing anything? All right. Okay. Hey, be safe. We pray for good health. Uh, there are some good signs of some folks that have been sick, so it's moving that way. And I also have one last request. Today, someone left me a grief gift on my desk. When I came in, unwrapped it, it was an Ohio State beautiful Turvis Tumbler cup. I don't know who brought that. If you could approach me after church, I'd like to say thank you for that, okay? So thank you for whoever that was. Um, to God be the glory, great things he's done. Amen. Father, go with us now. Help us to live for you. And Lord, help us not to just uh, take these, these words from 13 to 25 in chapter 1 and, and just leave them here at church. Help us to live it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. If you'd like to give today, you'll see the offering boxes. And once again, remember to pray about Ray Roberts next Sunday. Yes.